Welcome to Dug Too Deep, the officially unofficial podcast for the Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Today we're talking feedback for Season 1, Episode 6, Udun. Aaron, how's the feedback looking? We actually had a huge spike in the amount of feedback we got this week. I was pretty impressed. The, the Dug Too Deep community really took it to us. Um, a lot of it was similar in theme. So, you know, I did the the thing where I went with the, the first or more comprehensive take, whichever tickled my fancy but yeah we got a lot a lot of feedback so thanks uh thanks for sending all that into us dug too deep at baldmove.com is uh, is how you add to the pile um but yeah i don't i don't have anything else to talk about so let's uh, get right to it bill from aurora illinois up first with a positive take maybe ignorance is bliss but this is my favorite episode of the rings of power so far I love virtually everything about it. One benefit of not being completely caught up on all the Tolkien literature is I can just enjoy the show for what it is being portrayed on screen without worrying about, wait a minute, according to the books, this really didn't happen. This is the same reason I enjoyed Game of Thrones even in the final seasons, whereas my kids refused to watch it because it deviated from the books too much. I do want to... I do want to say that, like, I, I, I hope that I, I don't feel like that my criticism for the show is coming from a this is doing violence to Tolkien perspective. It's more of just like, I don't think they're doing a great job with the characters and the motivations and and yeah. whatnot. Pretty, pretty nuts and bolts. I'm, I'm not usually canon purist if what they're doing is as good um, or interesting uh, as the canon. Uh, Bill says, having said that, I do agree with two major issues in the pilot. The opening for the sword hilt key that set off the flooding was completely covered by rubble when the tower went down. So I'd have to call some bullshit on that one. And two, everyone has to be dead in that final scene with volcanic gases obliterate the village. The next episode starts off with everyone just covered in dust. I will not be thrilled, but I will keep watching. Part of why I'm willing to forgive a few plot uh, flaws like this is a year ago, I bought my first 4K OLED television and the stunning mm-hmm. visuals from the show is the best video source i've seen since i bought it but only thursday night football could get the same freight rain that amazon allows for this show oh they don't Man. they don't with the football well the thing is is i think that i i watched a little bit uh, of course my my colts play uh, my hapless colts play this thursday night um and i've i tuned into a few games i think it's the best i've ever seen football uh hmm. okay you know because i don't think i've ever seen it higher than 1080p Mm-hmm. So I I've been impressed, but I I don't know. Maybe it's it's beyond center. I I'm getting jealous between you and some of these other uh, emailers about their OLED TVs. I I got my mm-hmm. freaking LED LCD that is just not doesn't got those inky blacks. I I was spoiled with yeah. the plasma, and I I might need to I might need to treat myself to an OLED maybe uh, for the Super Bowl when they they go on sale. Sure, I I highly recommend it. I've, yeah. I've been very pleased with my my I think it's an LG C8 I think is what I've got. I don't know, man. I am bound like the rings of power to Samsung. I have a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, the could the remote compatibility, all that. I just never and I just this 4K TV is only a couple of years old anyway, but uh, it was super cheap. I couldn't believe how cheap. Yeah, that's the thing. It, my my TV was not super cheap when I bought it. But Has inflation it, caught up to televisions now too? Am I am I really gonna probably pay that? Yeah, I, I'm sure Samsung has an OLED though. So if oh, you want to yeah, maintain sure. your their but bondage it's like over if I could get it for sure. five, if I get it for five hundred bucks, it's a different prospect than paying two thousand dollars. You know, yeah, totally. Yeah, I can just go over to your house and watch <laughs> if I'm sure. really hard up. Yeah. 
Dave from Glasgow says Glasgow says episode seven uh, opens with every is open with everyone dusting themselves off, looking around in surprise at being alive. But recall Galadriel has explained that evil fire isn't hot. And so because this is an evil volcano, I mean, they've showed us the cold fire thing twice already. Mm. So could this be it? Damn it. He might might be be right. right. He might be right. It's unquestionably an evil fire. It's an evil fire. I'm trying to look at the effects it had on other things. They don't really show anything melting, right? So, yeah. Yeah, How about even if they do, the meteor man, the the whole uh, freaking surrounding was on fire, but it didn't burn him. How how about evil smoke? Does evil smoke cloud the lungs like regular smoke? Does evil (laughs) smoke choke out the living beings? No, it's like Vicks Vapor Rub. It just clear. It just clears your pipes. <laughs> okay. Pyroclast. Yeah, yeah. Nine nine out of ten Middle Earth doctors represent uh, or recommend an evil pyroclastic flow. Yeah. You know, if you got some asthma, you got some uh, mm-hmm. stuffed up sinuses. You just yeah. You, you just, just bust just out the that. evil neti pot. <laughs> clear all that shit out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the evil neti pots when you when you fill it full of water, it starts whispering in the black speech. <laughs> A barador. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah. I. I. You. You. You might have cried. And honestly, I. I don't mm-hmm. know. I would have to agree that that's a perfectly cromulent thing for this show to do because they've done told us the evil fire don't burn. So. Yeah. No. That. That's. See. That's what I was worried about with this is that they were going to pull out some like mm-hmm. Galadriel has resistance against fire that she can like lend to these humans as they're covered in this cloud and it, it would be something that they hadn't foreshadowed yet. But you're see, right. If, if this turns out to be the thing, then yeah, they've they've kind of cleared that up. Yeah, and I and I and I've, I was always on board for Galadriel. Like, if the smoke clears the next episode and she's holding aloft some kind of you know elven crystal that's formed some kind of impenetrable barrier around the village and saves everyone, like that, I would honestly be cool with that too. She's a very powerful elf. Um, you yeah. know, if, if Gandalf can can block a Balrog blade. Uh, with his staff and not just block it, he shatters it in the movie. Uh, that I well, he's guess a wizard. Galadriel. He's a wizard. I expect him to bust out spells. Like, yeah, I I don't know. I don't expect elves to have spells in their back pocket to. That'd be interesting. I'd have to ask John explosions, but because I think Galadriel in the third age is kind of on par with Gandalf. You know, what with her ring okay. of power, if she mm-hmm. could actually use it. Um, I know she doesn't have a ring of power yet, obviously, because they haven't gotten around to forge it. But she is a pretty yeah. powerful entity into her own right. Um, but she's she's still baby Galadriel in this. She's yeah, got a I don't lot know. Of growing the thing up is, yeah, even if Aaron would be cool with that, if I can speak of myself in the third person for a minute, I don't Why know not? what the average fan, because you're right. They they Galadriel is powerful. Sure. But I don't know that she's like block a volcano single handedly powerful. Um I, I don't know what the fan base would think about that, to be honest. Um, I thought about citing because there's a couple articles from geologists that the people kind of like went over um, the events of this episode. And I thought I might crib from that. But guess what? Kim from Houston, Texas, is a geologist and is in our uh, feedback. All right. They say, bald move for the geological win. I thought your description of pyroclastic flows was pretty spot on, and kudos to you for looking them up prior to talking about them. You've already done more than I think most writers and producers do, and they depict volcanic eruptions or any natural disaster, really, in TV and movies. Confession, I'm a geologist. Oh, boy. The the worst crime you can confess to. (laughs) (laughs) And while I I, I don't know if the statute of limitations on your degree has expired, but... 
brave, brave of you to write in a podcast about that. And while I don't specialize in volcanology, I know more than enough to cringe whenever I see them on screen. That said, what I found pretty interesting is that for all the writing and storytelling foibles we're picking up in the series, their depiction of the eruption of Mount Doom is surprisingly sound from a scientific uh, standpoint. The biggest criticism I might have is that lava lakes are ultra rare and certainly not associated with the iconic cone-shaped stratovolcanoes like Mount Doom. In the interest of time, I'll skip the lesson on why that is, but suffice it to say, much of what we know today about volcanoes and their features comes from research that post-dated Tolkien's life, so I'm not going to nitpick him. Point being, if you steady stream billions of gallons of water into an active lava lake, you'll absolutely get a massive explosion due to the temperature difference of the two liquids. It's what we call a freightomagnetic eruption, and they can indeed be pretty violent. Kudos to Sauron for figuring out how to co-opt Mother Nature to that degree. This type of eruption can trigger loads of ejecta and pyroclastic density currents, a.k.a. flows and surges, and the only flaw I could find in the show's depiction might be related to the pyroclastic flow itself and maybe the timing and pacing of the eruption events relative to to the villagers' awareness and reactions. Technically speaking, the mountain itself would have been blown to smithereens in the process too and surely wouldn't have reformed by the time Elrond takes Isildur to ditch the ring, but I'll let that go on the assumption that Sauron's power could also have been geologic time. Pyroclastic density currents are typically lower in temperature and don't travel as far or fast as freightomagnetic eruptions compared to the pyroclastic surges associated with Plinian-style eruptions, named for the eruptive style of Mount Vesuvius, as recorded by uh, Pliny... You know, I don't know how this is pronounced. I've only seen it written. Uh, Pliny the Younger, who Hmm. watched from afar as his uncle Pliny... I'm sorry, Pliny the Younger, who watched from afar as his uncle Pliny the Elder died in the 79 AD eruption. Mount Doom doesn't look uh, terribly far away from the village, so this aspect should check out, but those flows aren't necessarily instantaneous. A lot of factors influence whether the current could reach the village in as little as 10 minutes from the initial blast or take over an hour. I wouldn't wager money on a pyroclastic flow from a fratiomagnetic eruption occurring so quickly as to not give time for the villagers to flee uphill, but who knows? I've never seen anyone divert an entire drainage basin into a lava lake to test it. Either way, I find it conceivable that some people could survive it. Famously, one of the few survivors of the May 1902 eruption of Mount Pele and Martinique survived the pyroclastic currents because he was jailed in a stone cell partially underground the night before a drunken brawl. Hmm. While some people in Pompeii definitely were killed by the surges, more than a few hunkered down and survived only to later die when the roofs caved in under the weight of the ash fall that accumulated. The buildings in the Middle Earth village don't look the sturdiest, but I don't have a hard time believing that a few folks might have gotten lucky and been spared by riding things out in a cellar, assuming the cellar didn't intersect with an orc water tunnel, or were lucky enough to escape uphill to the margins of the flow. Uh, Knowing this, I can't wait for next week's episode to see how our favorite mortal characters got out of that pickle, assuming it's not all a dream sequence. They also point out that Adar himself appeared to get out of the pickle. Upon rewatch, I notice that just as the barn he's held in goes up in flames from the pyroclastic flow after he lies down, presumably to accept being roasted. And just before Galadriel is engulfed, his shackles are shown dangling empty. What? Mm. I didn't pick up on that, uh, but that's cool. I assume he's getting down on the ground to like put his ear to the ground to hear the rumble. Yeah. But maybe he was able to escape to the tunnels. Although those would be flooded. Yeah, but I guess, that's the whole point of the tunnels. I guess a flooded tunnel is also a pretty good place to be when a pyrocra- pyroclastic flow is, is going towards <laughs> If you. the fire doesn't get you, the water will. I don't know. 
But again, this could be an evil cold fire. Mm-hmm. So we're also holding that hope from that. Uh, Jeff from Salt Lake City, Utah, has some other things he wanted to chip into the situation. He said Tolkien wrote that Mount Doom rose some 4,500 feet above the surrounding lands. Despite rising nearly a mile above the valley floor, Mount Doom doesn't look very tall from the village in the show. Based on actual real world observation, we have to assume the village is more than 20 miles, not kilometers, 20 miles away from Mount Doom, or it would appear to be much higher relative to its position. The pyroclastic flow that Aaron mentions can travel long distances at a pretty high speed, but I think the show is telling us this isn't a pyroclastic flow, but rather just the ash cloud and debris shot out of the crater when it erupted. While that is still dangerous, it isn't the same death sentence a pyroclastic flow would be. But it's full so my, of fire. It's just like full of fire. I know. If you know. look at it. Like, I you can look at Mount Doom and start measuring things visually, but when I see fire, I know it. I I can tell fire from fire. smoke. Uh-huh. Could be evil yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. But I, I got the, there's a several people who are kind of trying to make this float. It's like it's not a pyroclastic because no. Yeah. Nobody unless you got a magic protection or it's evil, evil pyroclastic flow. No one can survive that. Like literally no mm-hmm. one. It's famously fatal. Like, you know, again, there's margins of shit in Pompeii. If you're down in the basement, I guess um, with a close because even then, like your doors open like it, what, what you're going to be an underground is not going to protect you from a thousand degree atmosphere, you know? Yeah. Um. So when Mount St. Helens erupted, uh, the pyroclastic flow traveled no more than five miles from the vents based on the height of Mount Doom relative to the village. Uh, we talked about it being 20 miles away. So for flows to travel further, they need to originate from taller and larger peaks so more material can drive the flow. Uh, if you've seen a video of Mount St. Helens, you know that a whole side of the mountain seemed to burst, pushing out an unimaginable amount of material and that the flow only traveled five miles. With all this in mind, I think we can look at the ending of the episode and not feel like you've been presented with a situation that could not be survived. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I look, I, like I said, I felt the story that they were telling was these people are doomed. That is a big, fast, hot, fire-bearing cloud moving down at uh, these people, and I think you're supposed to think they're going to die so that they can live next week and you can get the clap, clap, clap. Oh, happy emotions going. Uh-huh. That just doesn't work on me, man, because I'm like, well, that's Galadriel. Yeah. yeah that's, how can it work on anybody? Like, yeah. That's the thing. Unless you literally know nothing about Tolkien's works or Lord of the Rings, including Lord of the Rings, uh, you say, well, she can't be dead. Obviously, she cannot right. be dead here. Uh, neither can Isildur. So it's it's i don't know it's really weird that shows do this these fake cliffhanger things um but that's just me no i I think a lot of people just get excited and caught up in the moment and and logic be damned um and and as a point of fact there are these this is someone's first like serious drama you know to the extent that this is a serious drama and like the first Mm -hmm. few times like you know i remember where i was at when picard got assimilated by the borg and Riker said mr warfire and i'm like oh shit captain picard gonna die it's gonna be the Riker show ah and you know i came back next season it turns out the borg adapted yeah but Uh, tolkien didn't write a bunch of books about how captain picard then goes on to you know save the the entire human race and the elves and the dwarves and the vulcans and the romulans yeah that's we didn't know what was going to happen to picard he could die especially between seasons 
If I'm being fair, do I expect the average person to know about pyroclastic clouds and all that kind no. of stuff? But 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 I just think that just the language of the show, like how fast that thing was moving and yeah. how hot it appeared. The obvious you, fire in the cloud. It's not like this you would, was just a totally black smoke cloud. Yeah, because like, as you say, like, you know, and, and also it's like, do I do I expect them to do the trigonometry on Mount Doom and be like, oh, well, clearly that's 20 <laughs> miles away. The audience should know that this is a much cooler ash ash fall than a I don't know. I, I did. I don't know. I don't I don't know what the uh, the average person thinks. Um, it seems from looking at like what people are saying on the Internet, there's a lot of people that are kind of like unhappy about that. And the amount of articles written about well, so it's funny because like clearly uh, I saw the showrunners crowing that they had done some scientific research, just as our geologist Kim here presented. That like, yeah, indeed, if you have this big old lava lake and you dump a bunch of water, that steam, that instant flash steam, is just going to essentially turn the entire mountain into a fucking bomb. And they were very proud of themselves for the scientific plausibility of this magical volcano event. Mm-hmm. But then that's where it stops because uh, most geologists, when they went continued their. Uh, uh, their their analysis and I, I read two or three breakdowns they're like if that had happened the mountain would just be blown the fuck apart yeah like yeah. it wouldn't leave a volcano like that it wouldn't do like some of these other things and then of course you got the problems of the the aftermath so again also this isn't a fatal problem for the show they could completely fuck this up one of my favorite shows of all time breaking bad in season two pulled what I think is still one of the most stupid things I've seen on a prestige television, having hmm. two jetliners, not like Cessnas or shit, two 737s being grief diverted right into each other's path and, and colliding over the protagonist's house just to make some moral grandstanding point. Uh-huh. I just about stopped watching Breaking Bad at that point. OK, I love Breaking Bad. But shows can fuck up from some time. And you, clearly that wasn't a problem for everybody. I'm just saying that, like, you guys are getting the wrong idea that I'm, like, completely out on a show. I'm just saying that, like, that's one, you know, uh, this is one potential thing that could be the ultimate, you know, destruction of my suspension of disbelief. I guess if I'm trying to, to, to say, say how I actually feel about it. There's a lot more Rings of Power to ponder. We'll be back right after this short break. getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. 
Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. And now, let's dig a little deeper on Dug Too Deep. All right, we've been talking about Volcanology for 18 minutes. Anybody who's still listening, we promise it won't be the whole episode. Uh, but it will be one more email. But it's, Christ, not, it's, Jesus. Not, it's not the same type of take. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, you, you said you, you you made me stop talking about the brown haired people in the House of the Dragon. I'm not going to be gainsayed All about right. my volcanology, Jim. All right. Mike says, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a bunch of ashy face survivors in the Southlands next episode, but don't worry about it too much, as you should recall that volcanoes in Middle Earth are much less deadly than in our modern times. What? Near the end of Return of the King, we see two soft hobbits waltz right beside Mount fucking Doom, proceed to stand around and chat while toxic hot volcanic gases blast their faces and lava laps at the path they're standing on. Also, yes. note... They're doing this at the same time that we see lava and glowing volcanic gases issuing out of the top of said volcano, again, while they're inside chatting. Then after the ring is destroyed, we see the top of the volcano explode again while they're still inside. As a volcano in which our hobbit's friends um, are inside explodes, we see them run out just as the river of lava bursts forth, with lava spray and gases blasting all around them. They chill for a while, and you know it's not too <laughs> deadly because they're barely even sweating. Then mm-hmm. some big bird swoops down through the vent- heated volcanic gases, save them, and not a single feather is singed. This is a fair point because I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen vulc- volcanologists going up to take a volcano sample. From like pretty cool lava, like lava that's crusted mm-hmm. over. They're wearing those full on fucking Metal Man, Iron Man, Mark III yeah. suits, and they still can spend like ten seconds. <laughs> Frodo <laughs> and Sam are like six feet away from flowing lava. They should be roasted. Manway's eagle should burst into flame when they get within <laughs> like thirty feet of this shit. I think they You're- got a ring of power. They're good. They're good. Not anymore. That they fucker just ring. blew up. Just melted it's residual and blew up. effects. Residual effects. Like you, you hold on to the one ring for a little while. You got a good six weeks of vol- volcano suppression powers. Clearly, it's an evil fire, and it's <laughs> approximately as hot as spending a half hour under like one of those big uh, beehive things they put on your hair when they're giving mm-hmm. you an updo at the salon. It's just you know, just kind of it just kind of tussles. If it's it a little fire, I'd, I'd I'd give it a swim. I, I'd get down in that stuff. When you, when are you gonna get another chance to swim around in a lava flow? Come on, mm. guys, take the opportunities as life presents them. That's the other thing. If we're if we're really being nitpicky, and why the fuck not? Gollum lands in that lava. He's you you won't sink in lava. Right. Think about it. <laughs> it's dense liquid is, yeah. rock. Do you know how fucking dense liquid rock is? Uh-huh. A hell of a lot dense than your 70% water body. What you will do is instantly burst in flame and roast alive <laughs> before uh-huh. charring to ash. But you will not sink in as if it's like hot water. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. You'd have to have a shovel and dig yourself in. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. You would have to. I don't. I don't know what you'd have to do. You'd have to wear fucking right. depleted uranium boots to sink in that, and that still might not mm-hmm. do it. Anyway, uh, fair point. Fair point. Uh, evil fire. W- w- I'm 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 backing away slowly from my pyroclastic cloud heeny fit that I threw. All right. Yeah, I think that's you, gonna be it. It's me. gonna be evil fire. How, how do you tell good fire from bad fire? I guess would be my question. Weather burned like, you. <laughs> you gotta test it to find out. Yeah. And just stick your hand in the lava to see is yeah. this good fire or bad fire. Anyway, just five more volcano emails. No, I'm I'm, sorry, I'm, Jesus. I'm we're done. We're done now. Uh, Dan in Connecticut. The Stranger is a clear shot at Disney's favorite IP, Baby Yoda. That's right. The Stranger is Baby Gandalf. Hear me out. Baby Yoda is like 57 years old. Baby Gandalf looks younger than that. Mm-hmm. Though the char and grime are adding some years. Baby Yoda consumes other babies, frogs, and anything else he can steal. He steals. Baby Gandalf only eats what Nori gives him, and he wastes nothing. Fuck Baby Yoda. I stand Baby Gandalf. All right. All right. You know he's not nearly as cute. Uh, Well, Hmm. if you've listened to our Mandalorian podcast, you'll know that we roasted Baby Yoda for being uh, for committing genocide. He Mm -hmm. ate the last baby eggs of a dying frog people. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, he's a monster. He's a monster. He just looks cute. Uh, Baby Gandalf, not a monster, just looks evil. That's my Mm -hmm. theory. We'll see. All right. Nina says, in terms of Halbrin being Sauron, Al Gore's internet is washed with (laughs) furious pictures and tinfoil detritus about this. One of the more fascinating things reminded me of a passing joke you guys threw out in one of your previous T-Rop episodes where you said something about Numenorians being able to forge Galadriel's beautiful armor with perfectly intricate elven details in like two days. But have you taken a look at Halbrin's armor? It's covered in, you guessed it, rings. Aside from being another feat of Numenorian craftsmanship, custom badass armor made just for you in 30 minutes or less, your money back. I'll take a symbolic smorgasbord of rings and a franchise about rings with rings in its title as a huge flashing arrow towards my guy being the big bad. Your thoughts. Have you noticed this? Mm, I haven't. No. So, yeah, his armor is literally covered in rings. Like, he's got the, you know, he's got the scale, kind of like the bronze version of the white enamel scale that the uh, Numenorians, the Westernese are wearing. But, uh, court, like, covering his shoulder, like a shoulder pauldron and his gauntlets are these big silver rings they're not overlapping like ring mail they're just like decoration he's festooned with rings mm. okay yeah i've seen a lot of theories um that he might be sauron i'm i'm trying not to dig too deep into those because i feel like people know too much um although yeah, i'm not be sure careful. i'm not sure with hallbrand if they do or not but I, I don't i don't want to dip my toe too far into spoiler water but yes i've definitely heard people talking about that um, and it seems like a possibility. Yeah, I that's especially my now that Adar theory. isn't isn't like trying to become Sauron again. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or that maybe seems like he he's is. like in opposition know. of Sauron. Um, maybe he's just trying maybe... to claim Sauron's power for yeah. his own purpose. Yeah. Um. But I, I like I said, it's my favorite theories thus far. But uh, it um, remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Blaze from Fort Worth, Texas says, surely there's a joke about Aaron Deere planting a seed before the battle. Glad to see him finally mm-hmm. having the courage to kiss Bronwyn. Do you think he got to plant another seed with her off screen? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Elf sex jokes. Jim, what do you think? You think you think I Aaron love Deere's elf busting? Sex jokes. Think he's dropping loads before the battle? That's not, that's not how you phrase it. 
<laughs> yeah, dropping loads into uh, fertile soil. No, elves and elves in middle know. age. Once they've been married for a while, they stop all the freaky shit. But oh my god, it starts off white hot. Yeah, yeah. It's it's porn. It's downright pornographic. I'm just gonna say yes. Yeah, they definitely yeah. had sex off scene, off screen, and we're gonna come back, and Bronwyn's gonna be pregnant, and it's gonna be a whole thing. I I wonder if John would have a stroke if they do another half elf, because again, <laughs> they are like all of the half elf couplings are legendary and uh-huh. end in tears. So to have another one smack dab in the middle of the, the second age, uh, <laughs> yeah. would be would be interesting. I don't I cause again I don't really give a fuck. Uh, if they violate canon, that's fine. Um, you know, as long as it interesting, as long as it's interesting or cool, I really have a pretty high you. threshold for violating canon. They're, they're also doing something with Halbrand and Galadriel. I, I think, I think I, I see it. I'm not seeing that one. I'm not seeing that mm, one. Okay, but uh, maybe I know too much. Nancy from Toronto, California. Yeah, Toronto, California. There probably is a Toronto in California, uh, mm-hmm. but this is actually Canada. While I really enjoyed it, I was very bothered to see all the villagers sitting down to a feast, maybe with a second wheelbarrow that we haven't seen, after dozens, if not more, of their fellow townsfolk were just killed. At least the Harfoots give you a song for those that left behind, uh, that they leave behind. Uh, you bought, uh, in retrospect, you, you bothered a little bit by. I mean, well, I, where to they me, get the like, food? And yeah, it does seem a little callous, but you got to eat. You got to eat. And it was a battle. I would want to eat after a battle. Are you kidding me? That's the thing. I don't think there's any wrong reaction to surviving a pitched battle against monsters where half of the monsters turn out to be your town folk that turned evil and left just the night before. Like, I could mm-hmm. see just sitting and sobbing for six hours. I could see getting drunk and, and eating. I could see, like, there's the, the, who knows? Who knows how you would react in that type of situation? Uh, Steve says, I noticed that Numenorean ships may not fit under the bridge as they left for Middle-earth, something we noticed as well. It's eerily reminiscent of the time uh, Jeffrey Bezos had a ship that required the Dutch to disassemble a bridge in order to allow it to, to get through. Did you see this story? Mm-hmm. That Jeff yeah, it's like built a historic a, bridge, too. It's a historic bridge. So, like, that sounds bad because he's like, uh, <laughs> dumb fuck Jeff Bezos uh had a ship built so big that they had to dismantle a historic treasured like the london bridge had to be taken down just to mm-hmm. sa- satisfy Je- it turns out that this is a fairly regular occurrence the shipwright has dismantled this bridge partially to allow things to happen and just like well this is know. just stupid why hey, why are we building boats this big if they can't get out of port and the why yeah why, why are we no building them place? there like, yeah do we need boats that big, especially pleasure boats? Or I'm going to say Jeff doesn't there? need a boat that big. I'm going to say Jeff yeah. could just easily have a boat that's smaller and would fit underneath the historic bridge. That you, and, and that goes for every other billionaire that has dismantled the bridge. You yeah. could either go yeah. somewhere else or get a smaller boat. Get a smaller boat. Uh, may, well, maybe he has 100 horses that he's got to ah, right. sneak out through port. <sighs> Turns out that you can fit 100 horses into surprising a small boat. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, you I actually saw. The... A, a, I don't know if you'd call it an infographic. It's more of a meme of what a Numenorean ship looks like. Oh, I think I, I retweeted that on the Bald Moose. Did you? Account. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was pretty awesome. 
It's like it's like eight decks below ground or below sea uh, level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're storing all the highly flammable materials at the very top deck. Sure, and then everything sure. under it is like humans and cattle, not cattle, yeah. but uh, yeah, animals and all their food. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so if anything goes wrong, it goes catastrophically wrong. Guaranteed. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny because, like, of course, you'd you'd want the flammable liquids above the waterline where they're you know at risk of, of cannon fire and, of and borders getting to it, and and uh, you want to keep the horses way, way, way beneath the the waterline. Yeah, so that if anything does happen to the flammable liquids, no horses can get out; all will be burned alive. Yeah, it'd be it'd be it'd be pretty funny. Like like Steve said, it might be a funny way to take the piss out of. Uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, but I don't know why you'd want. The man just gave you a billion dollars to make your your dream show. Do, do you yeah. want to bite the hand? I would, but you know that's why I don't get handed half a billion dollars <laughs> of these kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> um, Robert says there's a lot of things to gripe about this episode. One consistent thing that has bothered me is why Aaron Deer hasn't followed the last order he was given and notified the rest of the Gray Elves. If he'd at least send a messenger, then a group of elves could have met up with the Numenorians to arrive in time. His duty was to take that dagger and bail, in my opinion. At first, I thought it was the love story angle that he couldn't leave Bronwyn. But when he was ready to die for or sorry, when he was ready for her to die to keep the dagger from Adar, that doesn't hold up. I didn't even think about this, but it is kind of fucked that. Yeah, he should have definitely told the elves what was going on. It would be pretty important for them to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and at first sight of an orc. And they know they're coming for the the hilt. They should have taken the hilt and just sprinted across country. And it's like you 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 have a ready made excuse of that he's just fallen, you know, in the classic foils. He's just fallen in love, and he can't bear to see Bronwyn or her son hurt. But yeah, he was ready. He's like you know doing the whole fucking killer, fucking kill all the women in the village. I'm never mm-hmm. gonna, I'm never going to give up. I don't even know her. I've never seen her before. Uh, Sean Bean Jovi says, I've heard in the past, as well as on your show, the idea that Saruman and Sauron's plans for empowering their armies were meant to be analogous to the Industrial Revolution. I've always loved this idea and found the visual imagery surrounding the effects of the industrialization to be very affecting. Considering the evolution from Harfoot to Hobbit, I think I see some neat parallels to human historical innovation as well. The Harfoots are, in the show, nomadic foragers not that dissimilar to early humanity. When we catch uh, back up to the Hobbits and Lord of the Rings, we see a decidedly agrarian society with permanent and lovingly tended dwellings. To me, this implies something happened in between that had a similar effect to the human agricultural revolution. Could the Meteor Man be the cause of the settling of the Harfoots and their eventual transition to full-blown Hobbits? If he teaches them the secrets of cultivating plants and livestock, they might begin to develop an agrarian society. As a result, they build communities and stronger ties to one another since they no longer have regular season or regular reason to leave people behind. This shift helps produce members of the community like Sam, Frodo, Mary and Pippin, all very much of the mind that no one gets left behind. It's Sam's refusal to abandon Frodo that winds up turning the tide against Sauron and the ring in the end. It'd be awesome if the same entity that was destroyed by the hobbits also had a hand in their evolution. Thoughts? What do you think, Jim? Yeah. Finally, a serious email. Uh, <laughs> I I think this is... I, I don't know if it's going to be Meteor Man who does it, but it's clear that there has been a change. And I, I look at it, though, and I don't see the hobbits mingling a lot with man or 
elves, right? It seems like at this stage they're, they're, they're like main, hiding out. It, well, yeah, Harfoots definitely don't, but hobbits themselves, I I don't even see that a lot. Um, what I see is Gandalf going to a group that is rather yeah. somehow still reclusive but settled. Um, yeah, and I, I don't I don't know how they end up that way, but definitely something has changed. And I will also I don't think the I don't think the hobbits are isolationists in the late third age when we, we okay. see in the Shire because like the next uh, you know the uh, the Bree the big folk town uh, next over they had dedicated mm-hmm. hobbit rooms they have a hobbit sized door in their gate they clearly are you uh, know it, it's, okay. it's not like hobbits are like oh my god the fuck are you it's just like oh gotcha. you know we haven't got, you know so like. They do keep to themselves, but it's more of like they just they're just homebodies, man. They don't like mm-hmm. adventure. They don't like travel. Um, they do like, you know, uh, pipe leaf and beer and things <laughs> like that. And they'll uh-huh. trade for that. But yeah, so I don't know. I, I think it. I think it's a really cool idea that this interaction they have with this big folk maybe puts them on the path. And and also that they retain some of the best qualities of the Harfoots. This whole like no one gets left behind except mm-hmm. for all the people that do, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Nori could be Nori's relationship with Meteor Man could be some kind of path toward opening up to the world. Yeah, I love for Sam to come up. It's like don't you leave him, said Gandalf. But turns out it's gotten really hard, so I'm taking my backpack and my Limbus bread and your axle, and I'm leaving you here, Mr. Frodo, because <laughs> shit just got hard. But I'll write you down in the red book, and I'll remember you always, yeah. Uh-huh. Fucking Sam. We got a lot of rings of power to ponder. We'll be right back after this short break. And now, let's dig a little deeper on Doug Too Deep. Uh, let's move on to Courtney. I'm a big fantasy fan, so I've been engaging in both the sh- these uh, shows, House of the Dragon and The Rings of Power, and I can't wait to listen to each of your podcasts after the show's airs. Well, that's high praise, Courtney. After listening to your most recent Ring of Power feedback, it got me thinking, show to show, I probably enjoy the ROP better, but just by a hair. I think the warmth and hope is something I just like about it. But when it comes to engagement, I'm more involved with that hot D. I think Amazon's big problem is they're releasing new episodes in the middle of the night. I know zero people who are actually staying up to watch the Rings of Power the night it comes out, whereas with the Hot D, it's a must-watch television. I watch it 8 on the dot, get on Twitter after to see what people are saying, and by the time I'm done, scrolling instant reaction pods are up across various platforms, and then I spend the rest of the night listening to those. Mm-hmm. With the Rings of Power, maybe I watch it Friday evening. By the time uh, I'm 24 hours out, and there's far less discourse and fun engagement on Twitter. Obviously, Twitter isn't everything, but for a provider like Amazon, engagement seems to be key. People have Prime for shopping and shipping, and honestly, the streaming is probably fourth on the list of why I subscribe. But HBO needs people for streaming and streaming only. I can't imagine there are many people who are picking up Prime services for the first time strictly for the rings of power. If you can't measure by these metrics, isn't engagement in social media very important to them? Seems like an easy way to up dialogue and engagement would be to make it much watch television at a certain time, just like Hot D was. Or is. Yeah. I 100% agree with this. I also think it's extra weird because if you think about it, this is maybe the worst possible time for them to release it. If you release it at like 9 p.m. on Thursday night, that's worlds different than releasing it at midnight. Because by midnight, a lot of people have gone to bed, um, at least on the East Coast, and and maybe you know uh, a little bit west of that as well. And what are they going to do? So they go to work Friday. 
They spend all day working. They come home. They go out because it's Friday fucking night. Friday night, yeah. A lot of people go out. I don't know if you're aware of this, Aaron. A lot of people go out on Friday night. <laughs> a lot of people have stuff to do on Saturday and then go out Saturday night as well. And by Sunday, you're now competing with House of the Dragon directly because House of the Dragon is on. So, like, they're almost releasing at the worst possible time. I just, okay. So, I want to push back a little bit because, like, I... They got they got the mountain time and the West Coast. They do. And like the West Coast contains San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, uh, Portland, Seattle. Are there no memers? Are there no memers to be found in the Western shores? What? What? <laughs> well, what the shit? Are you too good in Valinor with your f- perfect fucking weather and your earthquakes to meme a little bit on Twitter? That doesn't doesn't make doesn't make sense to me. Um, you got half the country that's this is in prime time, and you're still. I, I think you're still leaving leaving some of the most populous parts of the country out of the first viewing experience is bad, especially since mm-hmm. this seems like an unforced error by Amazon. Oh, they spent billions of dollars on both the NFL on Thursday night and the rings of power. And mm-hmm. they're like, no, no, no. The best thing we're going to do is force the rings of power on Thursday night, but we don't want it to compete with the NFL because obviously Tolkien fans are the same fucking fans as the NFL. We right. want to, we want to go head to head against hot D and we want to push it out midnight because we don't want to step on our NFL rights. It seems it's crazy. To I have mean, you both could release this. Uh, let me see. I'm lo- I'm looking here at my calendar. You could release this on a Wednesday night. You could release this on. Oh, there's there's a Tuesday. There's a thing called Tuesday night. There's a thing called Monday night. You could release it on any of those nights. Why does it have to be Thursday night? Are they trying to do the lead-in thing that network television does, where they? say okay we're gonna we're gonna roll all the football stuff and then we're gonna lead in from the football to lord of the rings that's not how it works on streaming yeah i mean i don't i don't know because that's something i've said like why does everyone like act like they have to have this universal release date and it's like on thursday or friday or whatever you know like hbo's got like they have long had sunday night to themselves as like this is the prestige night and this is where we release it it's not I, I don't. I'm not sure why they're doing that. Um, the other thing is, all of the classic Ring, Lord of the Rings films were released in December. I very much associate Christmas time with the hmm. Lord of the Rings movies for that reason. I think this thing kills if they release it over like Christmas. You know, get it started over Christmas break and into the dead. Like you know, that's what they did at the Expanse every year. Like yeah. get it out around Christmas time and have it kind of like standing alone during the dead periods of January. I think they slay. You know, it's cold and dreary. Hell yeah, you want to go to Middle Earth. You want to go to New Zealand and, and take a vacation with the Harfoots and the 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 the, the elves and the pyroclastic flows. <laughs> I, I I don't get it. I don't understand. It seems like they're scheduling. They spent all this money promoting this stuff and the football and they're. I don't know. They're 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 two biggest things are coming out at exact same time and stepping on each other. Yeah, it's like they only consider their own internal calendars and schedules when they think about this stuff. But I would say what matters even more is audience engagement. And companies like Netflix and now Amazon are just doing it completely backwards with engagement. Yeah, it's... um... 
I do like that they are experimenting with different release models and like partial binges and two episode releases at a time and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they need the people they need to start taking a um, a page from the television stuff and like spread stuff out over the week so it's not all coming out at the exact same time and date. And uh, yeah, who says no to this on Monday night? Yeah, I would not say no to that. Well, yeah. again, like I said, dude, push if you're, you know, push out the the football schedule. I just, I just don't know how they schedule this stuff. It's like, yeah, and and going against Hot D, that that's also um, a mm-hmm. questionable prop, pro, proposition. Anyway, Adrian says I'm listening to the feedback podcast on Dug Too Deep for episode five, and you mentioned being criticized for being too critical. I want to add a voice of appreciation and support for your being honest and direct with your opinions. So many of these podcasts are basically, well, here's what happened, and it was awesome. The end. In fact, I whittled down my Rings of Power podcast from five to just one. Yours? Why? Because you hold the series up to a critical lens. So much stuff around fandom is toxically positive, likely for fear of upsetting hardcore fans that your podcasts are refreshing. Slavish devotion isn't discourse, which is what a lot of these fandoms are missing. Well, thank you for that praise, Adrian. Um, I got to say, it's something we kind of decided early on that, like, we're, we're just going to... Uh, always say what we actually think because we wanted to be mm-hmm. a fan podcast and sometimes as fans you don't like stuff and you you know there's there's often an unrepresented part of the fandom which loves the show but also is kind of worried about this or that plot line and if you stay aggressively positive you kind of alienate those fans um, and then you, you just you see after a while you just have fans that are kind of morons you know, people that can't critically engage with anything. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice to run those people off every once in a while. And I'm not saying <laughs> if you like get look again, right, right, try right. to critically engage with what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you don't agree with us 100 percent of the time, you're a moron. But like if you've never had a problem with any of this, your favorite shows ever, 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 uh, you know, maybe you're not critically engaging with the material and that's fine. There's tons of podcasts out there for you to uncritically engage with. But but yeah, I just find that uh, over time, those folks aren't nearly as funny and smart as the people I want to attract as an audience. So there you go. I'm a podcast elitist. Uh, Condi says, I wonder if you guys notice in the scene where Aaron Deere removes the leaves from the carving on the tower that there's a man being stabbed by the sword and he is in position mm-hmm. similar to Meteor Man when he was in the crater. My boyfriend had a theory that the Meteor Man is essentially intended for evil but is battling his tendencies. Do you think the man in the carving could be him? Maybe. Did you ever and see this? Because f- I, I brought this up and you were like, oh, I didn't I, yeah. see that guy. I I definitely see what you guys are talking about. And it's also kind of fits in with the heavy metal Swedish elves that are kind of following, you know, like mm-hmm. looks like they're trying to like find this guy to and they definitely look evil. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like I like the idea that this guy came back and he's evil, but he's kind of got amnesia and the Harfoots are just so heartwarming and positive and good that they are uncorrupting him. Mm hmm. Uh, and you got these other guys are desperately trying to track him down to corru- re-corrupt him. Yeah. It's a battle for Meteor Man's soul. The only thing that is against it, can- Candy, is that uh, it seems like the sword hilt's true purpose was doing this thing. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm thinking about it, why the fuck do you... What was this intended to do? 
like unleash this river, but they had to they had to dig tunnels to do anything with it. Was it just another defense? Like, okay, stage one, you pop the tower, they're still coming, you unleash you unleash the damned up river. Mm-hmm. I don't I, know. I don't know. I mean, I assumed this was like some predestined thing that Sauron somehow knew about. He's like, we gotta wait. Okay, we're gonna build this thing, but Mount Doom hasn't lava laked enough. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot. He's done a lot of water math, and he knows how many billions of <laughs> cubic feet of flow he needs, with how many heck acres of uh, evil fire he needs to get the explosion that he wants. And uh, he's a, you know, he's. He, I think he's. He's one of the sons of Aeol. He's one of the spirits that are kind of, uh, or sorry, Aoi, the the smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just he's just really up on volcanology. Could be. I, don't know. I, I assumed it was premonition type stuff. Like you know, he either has a vision or some some kind of prophetic uh, thing here, where he knew that at this time Mount Doom would be created by doing this particular thing. Yeah. Uh, Christopher from Austin uh, has two points that he thinks are one of the reasons this show is uh, uneven. The first point is. The fault for the so far uninspiring and messy story lies solely with the Tolkien estate. The weird licensing deal that they made with Amazon has ensured that nothing but a mess could result. Why is anyone surprised? I'll see the season through to the bitter end, but I doubt I'll be signing up for season two. Wow, wow, wow. Um, That's a lot more negative than I feel about it. But the more I listen to John and David talk about their rights and how they have to explicitly go to the Tolkien Mm -hmm. estate to ask if they can do this or do that. That does seem like a lot of restraints to be put on somebody, you know? Yeah, it feels very Disney-like, honestly. Um, that you can do the Lord, anything in the Lord of the Rings and anything in the appendixes, but you can't do the Cimmerillion, but there's some songs that are in the appendix and, and that reference these characters. You can mention by name, but you can't use them. Like, God, that's... Yeah, yeah. it seems like a recipe to alienate lore purist and also to not really deliver the goods from just a purely entertaining dramatic point of view. But um, I don't know if I I so much money to get that weird carve out is just so strange to me. But Uh, well, Bezos is is thirsty for it. You know, he wants he wants a big uh, he wants He wants his own hot D. Uh, point two, I have a hot take. The writing of J.R.R. Tolkien is boring, all capital letters Mm. and uninspiring. I've read the Lord of the Rings books, The Hobbit, and about 25 pages of the Cimmerillion. Too long, didn't read. None of these books will ever be reread by me unless I find them in the library of a gulag at some point in the future. And there's nothing better to do. Jesus. Why? This, this, this is a... Uh, uh, it, it can't be an evil hot take because I was genuinely burnt by it. Uh, yeah. I felt the heat. I got singed. You um, and literally dozens. There are literally dozens of people who agree with you, I'm sure. <laughs> But wow, you you're right. That is a very hot take. I think the Hobbit is an excellent piece of children's literature, and I think the Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, there's some things I don't necessarily rock with. Like I, I've I've said that like anytime I saw three pages of italics, I'm skipping <laughs> Skip. that shit. I ain't gonna read a song, and if it's in another language, double fuck that. Uh, mm. And I I feel like I got ninety nine point one. Wait, he of- writes songs in other languages without translations sometimes yeah and puts those in books sure are you meant to just like phonetically read through it without understanding anything it's saying you're supposed to know Sindarin 
Oh Christ! Okay, no, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I that may, maybe I can swear that he does pages of that kind of stuff. More of like, <laughs> okay. you know, a, a line but, or two, sure. But whew. but there's a lot of there's a lot of songs and there's a lot of that. But like, mm-hmm. and I, I think his prose is sparse. But I also think there's some places where it's just genuinely beautiful. Um, I have fond, and I, in fact, I was just thinking last night. It's like, man, when all this is over, I ought to reread the Lord of the Rings. It's been about a decade. Um, and you know, I'd probably skip ahead like through the first part. Well, I probably read. The, I like the Shire stuff. I'd probably skip. Uh, I'd, I'd probably read the Shire, and then I'd skip ahead past the Council of Elrond and keep trucking. But um, I think some of the stuff, like I think the encounter with Sh- Shelob is beautiful. The build up to the Battle of the Pelennor Fields is wonderful. Um, uh, honestly, what he does with Faramir in the books is way better than what they do in the movies. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff in those books and, um, I'm actually shocked that a linguistics professor, this, this stuffy linguistic professor is able to write something as good as Lord of the Rings, to be honest. Hmm. Uh, not a Cimmerillion, like I said, that's like reading Genesis Exodus. It's, it's very biblical and heavy going. Mm-hmm. It's like reading a, a literal translation of the Beowulf legend or something. It's just like, man. Uh, this probably slayed them in the smoky taverns of the sixth century or whatever, but it's a little, you know, it's it's a little dry for 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 what we're used to in the twenty first century. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I yeah, I think Lord of the Rings is good. Actually, that's my hot take. <laughs> ouch! Ouch! I got burned. Yeah, that was an evil hot take. It it, it burnt you, uh, or didn't burn you. RG says, while well, I still have mixed views in the writing on episode six, for me, Adar is the breakout character in the episode. I agree. Of all the original characters, I think Adar is my favorite. He's pl- he's played excellently by Uncle Benjamin Stark. Uh, he's sympathetic. He's making uh, Galadriel look like a, a, a terrible person. He's doing a lot of good things, interesting things. Is that is that literally the guy that plays Benjamin? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's funny now that you say we it, mentioned I, that. I, I laughed at it and I was like, "Wait a second! No, that looks exactly like him." You're right. This was so. Did we? Did I forget to read this email? Because I swear to God, we we covered this like three weeks ago on the feedback episode, and yet I still like once a week someone sends this in, and now my own co-host is apparently slept through that part of the podcast. I don't yeah. Know. Well, I'm, I'm tired a lot these days. <laughs> So. Every once in a while, I'll see your eyes go to the middle distance <laughs> yeah. when we're talking on this podcast. And yeah, you put enough names uh, into an email. I'm just going to tune out. Uh, RG continues in the original Lord of the Rings movies. Orcs seem like two dimensional characters that Sauron basically used for cannon fodder to achieve his goal. This episode shows that Adar clearly cares for the orcs and the orcs care for him as well. The speech before the battle was inspiring and made me rethink about how I think about the orcs. Is their nature pure evil or is their story more complex? That of beings experimented on, used, and basically uh, as slaves for an evil lord, maybe these dudes just want some land for themselves. If so, Galadriel all-out warring against them and borderline genocidal views of them based purely on revenge or hate seems wrong. Adar basically, in this episode, pointed out her similarities to Sauron. She wants to reshape Middle-earth in her vision. She may be doing so in the name of fighting evil, but this seems like a very single-minded pursuit. In short, the actor playing Adar killed it in this episode. Hashtag Team Adar. Yeah, I agree. I think he's the one of the best things in the show, other than uh, the Harfoots and Durin and and Elrond's just general relationship. Yeah, I feel like you should be 
somewhat skeptical of anybody who says that they want to reshape the entire world for their own vision of what it should be. Yeah. I, th- I think but that's I, a dangerous concept. Uh, yeah. Especially when you're you're dealing with so many different types of people um, who are coming together and may all have different visions of what the world should be. You got to find a balance. You can't just say blanket. Okay, this is my vision of the world and we're going to make it so. I feel like a yeah. lot of people need to learn that lesson. I, this is something I talked about, John, on this week's episode of the, the Lorehounds podcast is that like the thing that makes it um, I think interesting is the fact that canonically in the show, these orcs have been hunted down and chased relentlessly, hounded from the ends of the earth by Galadriel and her people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they are going and they're fucking up this sad. They're, they're dispossessing all these people, but like, why in the hell would they feel sympathetic towards any of the peoples of Middle Earth? And it seems like there's so much make land right. out there yeah. in, in, in Middle Earth. Why can't they get a slice of it? Yeah. You know, yeah. they don't need to remake the entire Southlands or whatever, uh, but but give them something, somewhere to live. Yeah. Uh, side note, the reveal of Mount Doom, I think, was clever, and we finally understand what all that tunnel digging was for, basically mm-hmm. creating a pressure cooker steam to blow the mountain. I agree. I I didn't have – I thought that was actually really cool and a really good, I you know, way to, like, figuratively go to war against the sun and blot it out so you'll never see it. You know, permanently yeah. eruption. We've seen what Mordor looks like, et cetera. Uh, though lastly, Isildur throwing a half-eaten apple into the ocean. You got one job, dude. Take care of your horses. Throwing away an apple instead of giving it to your horse – don't understand what the writers are doing with this character. Yeah. It's like, imagine if like you, you're, you're a nurse at a baby ward and you've got a lollipop and you give it a lick and then you offer it to a kid and they give one lick and then you just take it and you throw it in the trash right in front of them, right mm-hmm. in front of them. Like what, what, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? <laughs> I feel like Jeez. we're looking for things to pick at here. The apple is not the most egregious sin of this episode, I don't think, but... No, Isildur's just a fucking douchebag that's unlikable well, yeah. and yeah. is a is a, just a terrible person I'm piling on. <laughs> this is me piling on a terrible fucking person. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah if it's just the apple thing, I'd be bigger like... bigger sins huh. than the apple thing, but... If this is the apple, I'd be like, huh, Isildur seems like a cool dude, surprised he really fucked over them horses with that apple, but yeah. this is the... This is the, the no, I'm, I'm ten straws. My back has been broken... Mm-hmm. tenfold by straws and this apple thing is the latest thing it's just just it's just bone on nerve on my backbone and it's it's not sitting with me apparently uh mike says we have a theory that golem slash smeagol from lord of the rings is a harfoot hobbit before being corrupted by the ring maybe mm-hmm. he learned some of the safe paths around middle earth as a result of participating in the harfoot's migrations I know this doesn't have any real significance to the show, but thinking about the connections to other aspects of the Tolkien universe is one of the things that makes the show fun. Um, don't we don't we see the origins of Gollum? And I I don't think he, do. that those those guys were hobbits. Well, to the extent that so like um, yes, canonically Smeagol is a stoor. Which is another, there's like three branches of archaic hobbits. You know, you've got the Harfoots, the Stoors, and I forget what the other ones, like the Farlands, I think is what they're called. Hmm. Uh, okay. There's three branches of hobbit, of these archaic proto-hobbits that uh, come together 
and kind of form the you know and settle in the Shire eventually. Um, but so like that's so like no, literally, I don't think you could call them Harfoots because the Stewards were always kind of like more river folk. Um, the Fallow Hides, thank you. Uh, our, our producer uh, fa- uh, grabbed that off of one of the Tolkien wikis, probably. Um, I, I think that like they're not literally. But like since they all kind of settled in the Shire and there's probably this cultural mingling um, that you could maybe make that association. But uh, also, like, I don't know how canonical they want to they want to. I believe all this is in the appendix, so they could use all these different subdivisions. But um, I'm not sure how interested they are in in doing that. Boy, I didn't remember. I didn't remember them having big floppy feet in the movie, but. I guess oh, I'm, yeah. I'm misremembering then. Yeah, they had the pointy ears and the floppy feet. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, Lyndon says, is it possible that High King Gilgalad is Sauron in disguise? Do, do you hear that choking, thrashing sound? That's that's John literally having a stroke yeah. uh, over at the Lorehounds. That that seems impossible. Uh, Lyndon says, this is a stretch from the source material. Yeah. <laughs> stretch. Wow. It's a, it's a master fantastic stretch Armstrong size stretch, mm-hmm. but it could be a clever way to twist existing lore and rings of power. Gilgalad has been portrayed thus far as a slightly dark and untrustworthy character. True. A couple of his actions make him a potential dark lord in my eyes. He works with Celebrimbor, encouraging him to work towards the creation of the rings. He convinces Elrond to gain access to the dwarves' mithril mines, a material the series seems to be painting as an important very important to the creation of said rings. He also tried to get rid of Galadriel by sending her to the Undying Lands, ridding himself of the elf, digging into Sauron's whereabouts while not blowing his cover. A subtle hint at this also comes in a scene where Gilgalad gifts the ore table to Durin in order to establish a peace between them and gain access to the Mithril. Could this be subtly hinting to the fact that uh, he as Anatar is Lord of the Gifts? Something I learned from John in the last podcast I did with him that 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 uh, alias Sauron went around with in the second age. Anatar literally means Lord of Gifts. Sauron's shape-shifting abilities were well-noted in the books, and this could be a great way to subvert our expectations. This feels like a subversion of expectations along the lines of the double Ds in the final season of Game of Thrones, in which... Yes, it certainly is a surprise, but a not welcome one to be sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. a, a stranger walking up and kicking you in the in the asshole is a surprise. It's not a welcome one. Yeah, like Aragorn could have just been evil at the end, you know. Uh, uh, sure, but uh, I, I, that would have surprised the fuck out of me in the movie theaters. But I also probably <laughs> burnt the place down, you know. Yeah, I gotta say, I'm not hot on this theory. It would. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It would. Oh, I I'm don't as think... far from the lore purist as you can get. Right. Yeah. There, there's. Yeah. And even this seems like a travesty to me, if it were to be true. There's a lot more rings of power to ponder. We'll be back right after this short break. And now let's dig a little deeper on Dug Too Deep. Uh, here's something we probably should have paid closer attention to. Neander Bear says that the 3850, 38 minute, 50 second mark in episode six, Adar walks out of the tavern with a cloth wrapped object and says to Waldrig, I have a task for you. 
Obviously, this is the point where he gave the real hilt to Waldrig and told him what to do with it and then used himself as a decoy at the cloth-wrapped axe. And mm-hmm. the Numenorians, like, literally five seconds later, came rampaging through the town. So, yeah, I that was explicitly text in the show. I do not know why I missed it. Probably because it came between... Uh, the torturing Bronwyn scene and the Theo kind of a giving up the ghost. And again, like as soon as he said this words, Ro- the, the Rohirrim, sorry, the Numenorians mm-hmm. uh, started fucking shit up. So that's a lot of spectacle. But yeah, you're you're I, I watched this episode, I think, three times. I should have picked up on that. Definitely missed it, but I feel like we get the gist of it, right? We figured out when it must have happened. Yeah, and, we and figured it out. But we sh- yeah, the show did, <laughs> didn't make it hard for us. It made it right. pretty easy. Aaron of two A's says, I understand the annoyance over the ending of episode six. I would, however, like to offer some justification from Tolkien himself. Tom Bombadil showed up out of nowhere and saved Frodo and company not once, but twice in the fellowship. If not for that double deus, deus ex machina, the hobbits in their quest and the entire Lord of the Ring trilogy would have ended with old man Willow in the old forest in the first few hundred pages of book one. Whatever hmm. miraculous occurrences saves Galadriel and company from certain doom, it fits right in with Tolkien's works as far as I'm concerned. Also, I got a kick out of Galadriel's expression there at the end. She looked ready to fight that volcano in single combat, and I think <laughs> she will kick Mount Doom's ass. Uh, she very well could. What do you think about this? Like, so he's talking about Tom Bombadil, which is also this is going to launch our lore corner because uh, we have some more Tom Bombadil stuff to cover with John. But I want to get your thoughts. Like, I know you don't. Well, you I never read. Seen- Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Yeah. I never read it. So in, in my Lord of the Rings headcanon, that never happened. There, there weren't crazy deus ex machinas to come yeah. save the hobbits. Tom Bombadil is an interesting thing that like, I don't think Tolkien ever knew what to do with. Like it's something that he's like, I've created something that doesn't fit in my own damn world canon. Hmm. Um, because like, he started writing out the Lord of the Rings with a very similar tone to the Hobbit. Like when you're at Bilbo's birthday party, things are very cozy. Things are very homely. Things are very safe and warm. And then the ring wraiths show up and it's like, yeah, the, but it's, it's still not like, you know, by the time you get into the, the, the third book, uh, orcs are chopping the heads off Gondorians and launching them into the city. You know, mm-hmm. like things get pretty grim, a horrifying spider, bites uh uh frodo and webs him up and is going to eat him like there's like truly horrific things happen but they're still kind of in the hot he's still kind of in the hobbit mode in the early goings of the lord of the rings and and you get tom bombadil if tom bombadil showed up to just beat sauron at the end i think we would probably feel differently about the books um even though there is some deus ex machina like you know the eagles do show up to save sam and frodo but after they kind of do the mission themselves you know um So I, I I don't know. Um, your point your point's well taken, but uh, and and again, I will not be mad if Galadriel just with her f- personal might or some kind of elvish artifact is able to protect this small group of people. Like that's that would not break my. I'd be like, okay, respect. Um, I just don't want them walking around like I, I talked about with John. I don't want these guys looking like nine eleven first responders, like just walking around stunned, looks in their eyes with ash on their faces. Like that mm-hmm. will kind of piss me off. If Gladiel just straight up protects them, not a problem. If it's evil fire and they're all like, how the hell did we survive? And Gladiel is like, it's evil fire. It doesn't burn. That yeah. that also will will be uh, fine. Um, and we'll see. We only got a couple days to to wait and see if uh, they're, 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 they meet their doom on, on the Bald Move podcast. But we'll see. Uh, 
Now we're gonna do uh, go and have John from the Lorehounds uh, podcast back to talk about our lore corner, and uh, we'll get into that right now. Hey, John, welcome back to the lore corner here at Dug Too Deep. Hey, thanks for having me. Got a couple here. We had a little bit of a Tom Bombadilla, Tom Bombadillo uh, lead in mm. to the lore corner, so I thought we'd keep that uh, Bombadillmentum going uh, with Matthew. He says. Tom Bombadil is a character from Lord of the Rings that, in my opinion, was the most missed in the Peter Jackson movies. He appears in the Old Forest and saves the hobbits from Old Man Willow and the Barrow Whites. He's almost a godlike character who the One Ring has no power over, as he can see Frodo once he puts it on. He has a big beard, a love for hobbits. He sings to nature and seemingly submits, or nature seemingly submits to its will, his will. I'd argue that Tom is to Tolkien as Aslan is to C.S. Lewis, mysterious in origin, mighty in power, and revered, revered amongst all who know him. The showrunners indeed have no access to the Silmarillion. It doesn't matter because Bombadil doesn't appear there. He does, however, have two poems written about him, The Adventures of Tom Bombadil and Bombadil Goes Boating. Furthermore, Tom B- Bombadil has no origin story. From Lord of the Rings, eldest, that's what I am. This is a quote from Tom himself. Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. He knows the star, dark under the stars when it was fearless before the Dark Lord came from outside. Also solves the Gandalf problem of Gandalf not being present until the Third Age. Maybe it's just because I missed him in the Jackson movies that I want to, him to make an appearance. Uh, I'm not sure this, this... I feel like this also solves the Gandalf problem. Uh is a little bit of a non sequitur. I'm not sure where that is coming at or getting at. Um, I think what, they want the, the stranger to be Tom Bombadil is what they're saying. Oh, oh, is that, was that the context of this? Oh, wow. Okay. Cause I, I thought it was like, so. all right, well, so let me ask, um, I'll, here's my opinion. Tom Bombadil showing up in this series. Eh, sure. Why not? I could, I could see, um, an appearance by him. Tom Bombadil is a stranger. Absolutely not. Uh, that's my that's my take. He's too sad. He's just too sad to be Tom Bombadil. You need him to make his first entrance, entrance going, oh Tom Bombadil, like something uh-huh. something real real Tolkieny um, that you couldn't pull off in those action movies that Peter Jackson made, but you can pull off with these Harfoots here. What would have possibly caused Tom Bombadil to be stricken with amnesia? That's the thing. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not offended or anything like that. It's just like, uh, you know, to me, Tom Bombadil is almost outside the powers of the world. Uh, yeah. That nothing really in Arda affects him one way or another. Yeah, I mean, people theorize that he's Eru, really. Uh, people theorize mm. that he's just some mysterious power that is one of the Ainur, but predates the coming of the Valar into the world. That's sort of where I lean. Um, but... Oh, I would I love to see Tom Bombadil. Yeah, yeah. I've always hewn to the story that he is some kind of um, emergent property of the world's creation. Uh, like human consciousness seems to be emergent property of mm. several billion neurons firing around. Uh, Tom Bombadil is is uh, just a side effect of all of the, the world's creation, uh, hmm. which is why he has so much power over it and why he kind of stands aside of aside it and why it's so, so like he's like a powerful nature spirit or something and it wouldn't, he wouldn't fit. And it's my recollection. It's, you know, I haven't really looked into this thing for 20 some years that like Tolkien himself struggled to put him within the legendarium. You know, he doesn't really yeah. fit any anywhere neatly. 
You know that he wrote The Adventures of Tom Bombadil and other uh, poems, I think it is, uh, because his aunt was, like, in love with the character. It was like, this is the most fun thing you ever wrote. Please write more. And he said, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll write an extra book for you. Won't finish The Silmarillion, but we'll, we'll get Tom Bombadil out there. Um, so I think that's pretty funny. But I agree with you. I think that, first of all, Tom Bombadil is supposed to be so above things that, like, the reason that they won't give the ring to him, even though he could protect it theoretically in his mm-hmm. realm, is mm-hmm. there. Elrond says, "Well, he wouldn't even care about it, and it would get lost again because yeah, he would he, like he just wouldn't even think about it." it. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So I, I don't know. I don't think the stranger's him. But that being said, I would love some Tom Bombadil in the series. So I'm sure. rooting for it. Looking for a guy in a blue coat, gold boots, beard tucked into his belt. Uh, yeah, in, in the background. You know, it's it's kind of like. Uh, I know I said it in the first episode that I was just happy to see ints and int wives and int mm-hmm. children, uh, and that that's enough. But I kind of want to see ints again. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see ints actually have a bigger part of the story or be more than just background. So I guess like I just kind of glibly said, yeah, Tom Bombadil can just be in the background bopping around in his boots. But no, nah, if you're going to put Tom Bombadil, I don't think he can just be like uh, uh, an Easter egg. He would have to be yeah. worked into the plot somehow, and I just, I just don't see that happening. I mean, right now we're nowhere near where he lives in The Lord of the Rings. Right. In, with any of our characters, really. But, you know, right. we have five seasons to go, so true could be anything. Do you so? Uh, do you agree with... Because um, I've always thought that that was a smart omission from the Peter Jackson movies. No, I agree. Um, because, I agree. like, I've always associated him with, like, uh, Tolkien is shifting from child uh, book Hobbit mode into uh, really dark and gritty Lord of the Rings, and he is kind of a leftover vestige of that transition from young adult to more adult. Um, and Peter Jackson's movie, other than the birthday celebration to Shire, is pretty much pretty intense pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that you can't put Tom Bombadil in the Peter Jackson movies. And you know what? Maybe that's a broader critique of Peter Jackson movies mm. if you want to go there and just say, like, hey, the Lord of the Rings isn't an action series. Maybe he should have leaned less into that. But I don't know. For what they are, I mean, I, I like them. I feel like they're pretty popular. For what they yeah. are, I don't think Tom Bombadil works in there. Yeah. Uh, Mike says, the three people, uh, regarding the three people discovered Meteor Man's creator. These are the, I'm I'm colorfully referring to them as the Swedish death metal elves. Uh, I firstly assumed that they must be Valar. Uh, but I had a lot of wine to dr- uh, that I've drinking at the time. It wouldn't be them, as I'd actually assumed it was them that sent him to the fir- in the first place. So why would they track him? Uh, they also don't have elven ears. Is that true? Because I felt like I really watched and scrutinized, and I felt like the headgear that they were wearing obscured the headgear and the hoods. Mm. They were being cagey about the shape of their ears. But maybe, I maybe think it's you- ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you freeze framed, you could get- you could see a lack of a point here or there. Um, but as you say, they do wear kind of the kind of clothes you may expect an elf to be in. Could it be some kind of Maiar? Why would they track him? To teach them their ways? Uh, they have a sinister look, but that could be just to throw us off the scent. Um, well, what, what's your yeah? What's your take on the the strangers tracking the big stranger? Um, I don't think it's one of the Maiar. I don't. I don't think they're Maiar because. I mean, the Maiar do go in and out of Middle-earth, like, they, they help out, but they're less, like, direct helpers. They they more just give a little nudge here and there. Uh, the, the Valar are very, like, nervous about divine intervention after the whole Melkor fiasco. Uh, so, 
I don't know about them being Maiar. I'm I'm thinking that they're coding them to be like the cult of Sauron, basically. Uh, but I mean, they mm. could be trying to deceive us. What do you think is, about it? Is that is that is that an a, a, an official lore thing? The cult of Sauron is there is there such a thing in the books? Um. Well, I can't say too much without being spoilery. Uh, gotcha. But Mildly Sauron is definitely want to get into cultish behaviors. Um. They 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 mentioned um, I forget the exact name that um, Adar called himself the the those those elves that were corrupted by Moriandor Moriandor the brothers of shadow or the shadow the that was that was the translation uh, I I don't remember the exact translation they did what they actually did with that somebody figured this out online um, that was not a word that was actually in the legendarium but they took sure. it as there was this proto name for mm-hmm. Melkor that was Morion, and so mm-hmm. they did Morion Dor, which makes it plural. So like the gotcha. dark ones. Uh, gotcha. So I think that's just what they did. I, I like that. That's a good use of, of yeah Quenya extrapolation. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I wonder if they're not affiliated to them. Could, you know, could they be the other corrupted elves? Mm, they're not ugly enough. You don't you know? think so? I mean, Adar's nah, not essentially so. ugly. He looks more scarred and and whatnot. But uh, yeah. I don't know that. I honestly have no clue. And I also I'm very uh, interested in a sigil that they seem to be you know representing on their shields and whatnot, and how that mm-hmm. you know that that ties into the constellation. And right. yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm playing the game with Jim. Is like surely they're not going to leave this to be a mystery in season two. Like we no. should have a pretty good idea of who the stranger is by at least the finale of this season. I would think. I think they've been going door to door, going, "Have you heard the good word of Sauron?" <laughs> That's really what's happening here. Yeah, and uh, we don't really care if you're interested or not. We're putting our foot in the door and uh, <laughs> dominating your will. Yeah. Uh, speaking of will and dominating, uh, Will from New Jersey says, After seeing the vast amount of orcs existing under Adar, how is it possible that Galadriel and her team of elves scouring Middle-earth for signs of Sauron in the first episode and the many centuries prior could not find a single orc? Seems like they could have done a little searching underground and found a massive network of tunnels teeming, fair teeming with orc. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to take the show for granted here that they were searching north because that that is where the historical home of evil was. Thangaradrim and Angband, the the fortress of Melkor, Morgoth, was in the north of Mm -hmm. Beleriand. And so it makes sense that the orcs would be hiding out over there. And Galadriel just keeps going further north, but that's not where they are. They just hid somewhere else. And so I think if we take the show for granted with that, it's fine. And I don't think... um... It's the story they were telling that Galadriel has been searching fruitlessly for hundreds of years. I think she has been mm-hmm. finding orc and she has been killing orc, many, many, many orc. Maybe yeah. she's been on a recent dry spell, which is why her captains and lieutenants have started to be like, you know, maybe we got them all. You know, right. we've we've it, so it's it's not like that they have just been running around uh, on a snipe hunt. It's just <laughs> that you know they they found they kept on finding packets pockets of orcs, eliminating them. They got to as you say the biggest, baddest, last threshold pocket of all, and they didn't find anything, or, you know, they found a few things, and they dispatched them, and that was it. Um, Meanwhile, Adar has done an in-round around and gone south, where she was looking north. And the other thing is, canonically, orcs multiply extremely quickly. Isn't that one of their kind of things, that, like, you can kind of have them eradicated, or is this a Warhammer thing? I think that's uh, a Warhammer I, thing because they, oh, they produce in the manner of the children of Iluvatar, of the men and the uh, elves. So so they're 
you know, they're getting frisky. You know, one thing I, I don't think we talked about is the, or maybe me and Jim briefly mentioned it, but like uh, Adar addressed his orcs as brothers and sisters, implying that there were women orc in that crowd. Yeah. Uh, do you is is there anything in the canon that talks about the difference between men and women orc? Or are they kind of like the way they d- joked about dwarves in the movies that the that the, the 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 you can't tell the men and women apart? I think pretty much the latter. I mean, I, Tolkien. I think he was kind of afraid of talking about orcs sometimes because he, again, like we've talked about, we talked about this a lot on the lore cast. Like he was sort of touchy about the whole irredeemable thing, or are yeah. they redeemable? But they're just not. So yeah. I think he was a little. Um, he was prone to underdeveloping his orcs. Yeah. I mean, the utility of having an all evil army that you can just eliminate. No, like, you know, like, like essentially having Nazis, you know, there's not, there's not, there's not a, there's not a bag limit you have on them. No one feels sorry for them, but clearly as a, as, as a Catholic and a Christian and a person of empathy that probably had to bother him. Like, really? They're all evil. Dang. You know, (laughs) Uh, especially when you've got like uh, one of his, um, you know, one of the leading theories is that they were kind of made that way by an outside force. So it's like, right. you know, they did, they never even had a shot, but, uh, pretty light, pretty light lore, uh, week. Um, well, that's okay. Uh, Cause our lore cast went quite a long time. Yeah. Week. I we, think it's we, over we, two we, hours. We talked a good long time and I'm sure we will be sifting through the pyroclastic ash next week when uh, I join you again. So, uh, mm-hmm. again, appreciate you coming on and helping us out the Lord John, uh, where do you find the Lorehounds hanging out on the internet? Yeah, go check out our feed, the Lorehounds. You can find it on baldmove.com too. You can chat with us on Discord or Twitter at the Lorehounds. Uh, Aaron's going to be on this week again, so show sure enough. Uh, yeah, hope- hopefully we see you there. All right, we'll see. Talk to you then, John. Thanks, Aaron. Once again, thanks to John for helping us with some of the lore heavy lifting this week. Really appreciate it. Uh, check out the Lorehounds on their podcast. Search for the Lorehounds on any. Any place that you uh, listen to podcasts, you'll probably find them. That's it for us this week. If you'd like to send us more feedback, uh, maybe not about volcanism. I think we've we've mm-hmm. uh, we, we've we've stretched Jim's patience when it comes to volcanoes. But dug too deep at baldmove.com is a place to send that. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with us to find out what we're doing and our release schedule, that kind of thing, twitter.com slash baldmove. And if you'd like to support us, get ad- access to ad-free feeds and bonus content such as Lunch with Jim and Aaron, uh, our Sunday night live after shows for the, the Hot D, House of the Dragon on HBO. You can join us at the club. Check out support.baldmove.com. We'll see you next week, or actually this week. We'll see you later this week for our reaction to Episode 7 of The Rings of Power. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. See ya.